and I'm Ashley. And this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Uh, it's good to be here. First, I would like to trigger warn everybody before you start the episode. This episode is not technically a memoir. It is a documentary. But if you watch a, a self-produced documentary with subtitles, then it is kind of like a memoir. Yeah. And I've already read the book Confessions of an Heiress or whatever it's called. And I feel like this documentary very much helped supplement because like Confessions of an Heiress is very like tongue in cheek and like kind of like a memoir but like as a bit mm-hmm. and I feel like this was the balance it needed also we like agreed to do the Paris Hilton memoir before we got it and found out it was more of a scrapbook zine and <laughs> <laughs> um, we it arrived and we were like oh this is a full-on picture book <laughs> yes so yeah so we're gonna be referencing the documentary quite heavily um in our Paris Hilton coverage because we are nothing if not making up the rules as we go <laughs> <laughs> Um, on that note of making up the rules as we go, Ashley, do you have any stories from this week? What was the name of your memoir this week? The name of my memoir this week was New Year, New Me. I'm just no, kidding. That's I'll mine. kill myself. Was it really? Oh. <laughs> okay. You had to make up a different title. Okay. I've got one in my head. Yours. Okay. I would title my memoir, um, Baby Steps. I like that. I really feel like you've, um, if I could title your memoir that has been a collection of the murmurs, <laughs> why can't I speak? I don't it's know. It's weird that I like want to speak publicly, professionally, and I cannot get words out. And I talk all the time. Like, I've gotten in my 10,000 hours of monthly. talking. And for some reason, you still yet to master it. Anyway, Take that, Malcolm. Can I try something again? Yep. If I were to name your collection of memoirs, uh-huh. I would say smart. Interesting. <laughs> I just feel like you're taking a very reasonably paced approach to self-growth, which Thank is you. like doable. I feel yeah. like every time we talk, you have a new like <sighs> set of guidelines or self-reflections or accountability holds that are like good, doable, feasible steps. I have been trying to reflect and hold myself accountable better. And I do. The reason I call it baby steps is because I was thinking about any successful um, New Year's resolutions I've ever had this year and the only successful new year's resolution that I think bettered my life in any way was one year I resolved to put things away when I'm done using them (laughs) you know what I did one time I whenever I like have a dish do that dish or like if I Mm -hmm. if it's like a tiny tiny task don't put it off that's I okay it really improved my life (laughs) on refinery 29 named like life with Lucy or something in the whole oh I know who she is and I used to watch them back when I had a desk job where I was allowed to use headphones and she had one where it's like that week she was living by the two minute rule. And if anything took less than two minutes, you just do it right away. So if oh, yeah, that's that basically less, what it was. Anything that's like you just respond, you text back, you do your dish, you put this shirt away. Anything else that's two, maybe it was even less than 60 seconds. Yeah. And I think that that I mean, that's basically what it was. And I think that's like the only thing I've ever like the only like concrete goal I've ever set that like sticking to it affected my life in a very positive way and wasn't hard to do and then so this year the only like hard new year's resolution I'm doing is drink lots of water and everything else I know it is hard but like the only like like numbers based resolution that I have and everything else is like sort of trying to set like an intention for I mean I feel like I've been watching too many like woo woo TikToks but like I'm trying to have intentional um patterns of like don't date people just because they like me 
Mm-hmm. A That's lot. Really you know what one. I mean? I just watched that TikTok where it was, oh God, I'm on gay TikTok. <sighs> As we all know, I'm gay. Um, and the one I just saw was, are you attracted to men or do you like the way it feels when men are attracted to you? Ugh. And everybody in the comments was like, I'm married. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear this right now. I'm two kids deep in it. <laughs> Um, hilarious. Yeah, I feel like so I set like a bunch of commandments for my year of how I want to um sort of like go about dating and like what I want to look for in a person because I also saw this TikTok about like how to find a person and it's not by like literally going out and dating. You have to like first figure out like what you're looking for. And then write it down on a paper and then burn that paper in your backyard and don't return to it for three weeks. Well, it wasn't even that. It was just like like it's easy to get caught up in shit when it like feels just like comfortable or whatever but is that like actually what you wanted and like this and that and like I think that like the situation if I learned anything from my relationship with Matt it's that doing something because like not doing it is harder is stupid (laughs) I think that's a great resolution I think that's a great intention Yeah, so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to just, like, do things, like, to not, like, waste time on stupid shit. I'm trying – oh, my God. One of the things that I'm going to try not to do, and I'm not going to, like, hold myself to it, but I'm going to really make a concerted effort to not rewatch stuff. You're going to run out of TV so soon, Ashley. That's the point. I don't want to be watching so much TV. I've been, like, listening to – like, last the last couple weeks when I work, instead of watching TV in the background, I've been listening to music. Nice. I like actually think I have to get rid of YouTube TV. Yeah. It because like, I have like real TV in my house where you like turn on a channel and I'm making Mac basically pay $65 a month so that I can watch every episode of Friends every yeah. day. And it's like you could also just like get HBO Max. Uh, we have HBO Max. I know. It's my login. But there's something different about just turning on the TV and seeing what the options are. Like there's something so intentional about being like I'm going to go to HBO Max because I, I never – wake up in the morning and want to watch friends totally I just sometimes turn on the tv to see what's on and that's what's on and then it's on for 15 hours and (laughs) you can't get out of that that hole right because then a new episode starts and you're like oh I love this episode I was watching especially because they play them kind of out of order I was watching I was rewatching sex when they on e the week before new year's they did every episode and I was watching with Mac who had never seen it and I kept being like this is an important episode this is an important episode but they were all important episodes they are all important episodes it's weird how many icon like each episode does have an iconic moment it's true they are it and is like some of it's in like TV. a good way or a bad way like I was watching that one where she um where like um Samantha moves to like the meatpacking district yes, and, and they're like saying all the- those like horrible things about trans people and yeah. you're like there is no way this episode would fly today but like the fact that it is so fucked up is like what makes it iconic or okay here was the order of episodes that I was like oh this is important it's when she gets dumped by a post-it note that is iconic and then there was the one where she gets caught by Natasha having sex with big and Natasha falls I watched that one the other day her yeah. tooth and then there was the episode where Oh, that party girl falls out the window and dies. That That's shocking and iconic because so it's so like funny. not even within the realm of Sex in the City. Like it's not like that happens all the time. It was just such a random aberration of television writing in that whole series. Can I say the getting broken up with on a post-it note? Like there have now that I'm like thrust back into the land of dating. There have been many a situation where I wish that I could just write a post-it note. It is, like, I think complicated. What's funny to me about that episode is when she runs into his friends that night at the club bed. And, <laughs> um, and that also 
is like a disgusting but awesome idea for a club. <laughs> I, that was a real club. And I remember reading an article about oh, it really? when I was younger. Yeah. Those were I would have loved to go. And it, there was an article in Vanity Fair about it. And it was talking about like what a hot little club it was. And Except it was, for how like people spill drinks on the bed. And then you've got these like wet mattresses. Ew, don't say that to me. That's upsetting. That's like what I imagine would happen. When I think I, about the logistics of club bed, I think about the, the wet mattresses. Well, this was all about how the maitre d' was a genius because Monica Lewinsky was at bed one time and they needed her to leave so that they could use their table for somebody else and they went down and said that Chelsea Clinton was about to come in and so Monica left of her own accord and then they got the table free for a new client. That does not sound genius. That sounds mean. It was, but this was back when it was okay to like belittle Monica Lewinsky. Anyway, should we move on? Before she was funny on Twitter. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The redemption arc. Tell me about your... um, I guess I have the opposite. I'm doing a hard reset in January. I have never really stuck to my resolutions except for the one time I said this year I want to get my ears pierced and start watching The Bachelor and I did do both those things that year. (laughs) Um, But I'm like doing like a balls to the walls reset of my life. So I'm waking up early every morning and going to do the Kayla It Seems workout. Today's Sunday. I start it officially tomorrow. Wow. I've never gotten past week two of the Kayla It Seems workout. I can't so wait to see what will happen. I'm trying to just stick it out for January and just see how far I get in January. Yeah. I'm doing that in the morning in addition to drinking 16 ounces of celery juice on an empty stomach every day. Interesting. It's supposed to be good for digestion, for weight loss, and for clearing up your skin. I did take before pictures. If it works, I'll put them out in the Ethernet with after pictures. But if it doesn't, don't what ask me about is it. Ethernet? I know there's an Ethernet cord. I think the <laughs> Ethernet is like the essence of internet oh so like when you're on I the internet you log on, it's like you like log to the ethernet internet but then it's powered by ethernet i think internet like ethernet <laughs> is like plural internet it's all the internets are like if we were both on the internet then we'd be it's on like the in ethernet. the ether before the internet is on a desktop before you're when you're not looking at it you know how blood is red when you see it but it's blue on the inside yes i think that's like the ethernet internet difference i think Okay, if I this is incorrect, <laughs> nobody correct us. If this is wrong information, I don't want to fucking hear it. That's how I believe from like now on. Ethernet is just the general, it's the Schrodinger's cat of internet. <laughs> um. Okay, that actually checks out pretty hard to me. Like the internet that you can't see is the ethernet. And that's most of the internet. Yeah, it's almost always, it's all like um, potential energy. I would say most porn is on the ethernet. Yes. Well, that was my joke. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place. To, the Ethernet is infinite. The Internet is just your screen. Um. Anyway, so I'm doing that. And then I'm trying to be better about posting content, turning content out. Um. And then on top of that, I am doing the 30 Days with Adrian Yoga Challenge, mm-hmm. Yoga with Adrian on YouTube. It's free. Every January 1st, she does a 30-day challenge. You guys, because they're online, you can start it at any time. You could even jump into day two. Today's day two. Um, I'm, so I'm doing that at 10 PM and then at 11 PM I get into bed with a book. Yeah. I've been trying. So that's my thing is like with trying not to rewatch stuff is cause I want to be listening to music and reading books more than I am. Um, just like watching shit while scrolling my phone, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing about TV is you don't even watch it anymore. It's just like background. Yeah. Or I've been trying to like watch shit. Yeah. Like there's stuff that's fun to watch. Like Bridgerton was a revelation. I have to watch it still. Um, I watched this other random show. There's like good shit and I just don't notice it because I'm on my phone. So I'm excited. Hopefully I know I was just like congratulating you on these like reasonable, actionable, tiny little 
changes but i'm doing like a hard january reset we'll see what sticks by the end i'm trying to say claire only do yeah. it for 30 days we'll see how it goes i'm only setting myself self up for seven days of salary and then we'll yeah. start if i still like it day eight That's i'll keep smart. it going i just know that i won't do those things and i also am pretty good about some of the other major like working out i do you do work out every day though. i've been sitting on my lazy rump like if years. anything i am trying to be better about like rest days because one of the like little residuals from my eating disorder times is that I get like very panicky about not working out on a day and Mm -hmm. like and I don't think that I think that has also like a bad effect to like not recover (laughs) ever so you'll get stronger if you take a rest I know also like I'm doing this celery thing because it's supposed to be really good for your skin and I would rather do that than just wash my face I yeah oh that's actually a thing that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to um sometimes I don't wash my face in the morning I only I always do everything at night like wash my face floss whatever but like sometimes in the mornings I just don't because especially now that I work from home in the morning just kind of gets away from you and I'm trying to wash my face and put on sunscreen every morning the problem is if I wash my face even like sometimes I'll even just wash it once a day and it really dries it out and then I put on um, moisturizer. moisturizer afterwards but then that makes me bright break out so maybe and, like, you're using this sounds the insane, but sometimes, like if I don't wash if I only wash my face like every other day it's fine yeah so what it so, sounds like to me is you're using first of all if you I'm, wash your face you should always use moisturizer yeah but I'm second I've, of all I'm using like the lightest moisturizers I can find and stuff and it's just it makes me break out immediately I just feel like if I leave my skin absolutely alone it's like fine um well, I wonder if there's any skincare freaks in our audience who are able like, to write even, to Claire you know with I mean? some It's just so much money. Alerts. The problem with like trying these things is there's such an overhead of like it's expensive. And then if you try it, and then it breaks out. And I'm like, wow, if I just had never done any of this, I would have had 30 more dollars plus the skin I had last week, which the problem with my skin is it's fine. Yeah. So if I my skin start- is pretty much fine, too, but I am like worried about my forehead wrinkles. And so I bought right Oh, you got retinol? Yeah, I haven't started using it yet, but I just got it. That's smart. I just, like, am a f- I'm terrified of my own age. Yeah, so, you should be. I mean... I know. We're in the industry. We're in the industry, and I'm, like, about to become just, like, this... I'm about to hit this horrific milestone where I'll have to either die or start injecting stuff into my face. Yeah. And I'm, like, not ready to die, but if we find out the vaccine doesn't like fully work then I actually don't think I can do this for another whole year so we'll revisit this conversation (laughs) anyway should we get to our book of the week which was a movie yes Paris. I have always truly loved that song. 
I will say I will stand by the fact that it is a great song. And I was listening to it yesterday and I tweeted about how it very. So in her book, she talks a lot about how um, into Gwen Stefani she's always been. She thinks like Gwen Stefani is like the coolest rock chick on and the planet. And she does talk about when she was and like 15, you, 14 being into Betsy Johnson. Yeah, that yeah, does make like sense. You can really hear the Gwen Stefani in that song to me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like the, oh, God. Like I honestly hardcore. do like that song. I'm like literally saying that if it was a No Doubt song, I would believe it. Oh, good for Paris. I, I know. Hope, I want that to be the song at my wedding. Me too. I want to dance to that song at my wedding. I also, so I, I it just like makes me laugh because like now I think that Paris is more punk than Gwen. <laughs> well, I was just thinking if you look at who she was when she was 14, 15, and this comes across in the documentary, she did start off as a Gwen kind of punk rock, Betsy Johnson yeah. type mini skirt with rhinestones and fishnets, like rock and roll heiress. And she has since kind of redefined I guess that's what happens with age, where she's redefined her brand as much more like Barbie girl princess, which I think is a response to the Asian markets. I do think it's a response to the Asian markets, but can I say something like a little bit controversial, perhaps? Sure. I actually think that we only view her as like pink girly. I mean, she does wear a lot of pink or whatever, but like looking at her book, looking at her documentary, she is kind of a trailblazer in a lot of ways like her style has never been defined by current fashions she always wears exactly what she wants to wear even if it's fucking ridiculous she always like I think it's like the high-pitched voice she puts on and the fact that there's it's very like makeup and clothes centered is why we like view her uh, I think I'm as a saying girl. right now she has 100% changed her her look I'm getting to her right, Instagram but I'm right saying now if you look at the way she dressed in like the 2000s and stuff she was very it was not viewed at all rocker punk but it like kind of was the way that she was like creating those styles was she creating it though or are you just like looking back in retrospect I don't know I think I mean she was wearing like the low-rise jeans the like silky uh crop top um like tank top she was doing I don't know if she was I creating. Like she was I don't doing think she a lot was of weird anything. shit with them. Like she was wearing like tutus and puffer jackets. She was wearing like, yeah, she did dress bizarre. I remember one time saying I didn't have cable, so I never watched The Simple Life. And I remember one time saying in eighth grade that I liked the way Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie dressed in The Simple Life, and I got like laughed at by these two girls, Grace Pullen and Victoria Krupivina, and they were like, they dress like shit. Like that's the whole joke is that they look awful. And I was like, oh, I like kind of think they look cool. And then I also said I think Carrie Bradshaw looks awful, and they're like, you don't know anything about fashion. Carrie dresses great. Interesting, very interesting. I just feel like I'm. I don't know. I'm literally looking here. I would disagree with you, Ashley, because I, what I said is she started out punk rock and then she moved into this Barbie look and, and and here's a literally her, she uses the barbie logo and font constantly throughout her instagram yeah i guess i was not necessarily thinking of like today today i was thinking of like in the 2000s okay that's fair um which is like not necessarily when she was a teenager anymore and like i can see how like right now she has she's a, a lot more like girly barbie mm -hmm. but um yeah i think that there was some in between I don't think it was like a sharp change well she went to I think it might have been because she went to jail and really disappeared for a few years and then kind of came back and reinvented herself and I guess she had to like at that point she was in her 30s so she kind of had to re reinvent herself I as forgot a, about jail as a pristine girl I mean she, this like comeback was only two or three years ago she was like a laughing stock for a little bit and she completely died off and then she like That's came true. back wholeheartedly and then 
I remember first she came back trying to pretend she didn't know who Kim Kardashian was. This was like four or five years ago. Her and her mom did this interview and they brought up Kim. I just remember her going, oh, you mean my old closet organizer? And like scoffing. And then there was this like all of a sudden her and Kim were friends at Kim Kardashian's Christmas party two or three years ago. Do you remember where they had the fake sledding in LA and they were sledding together and then Paris was in Yeezy's. um, Oh my God. Remember my best friend's ass. Was that a song Paris did? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she definitely like she was off the grid for a few years. So there's definitely been a wholehearted rerun by her. Yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about where this movie starts. It starts with her, um, sort of just like talking I will say one thing about this film I know that she in the movie acknowledges that she like puts on a voice for the Paris character Mm -hmm. but every scene in this movie she uses a different voice yeah she has no idea who her voice is I okay so basically there's two halves to this movie it reminded me a lot of Mariah Carey but reverse in that it's a somewhat about the fame is half about the fame and who she is now. And then half about like the trauma, the trauma and like actually real shit. So we're going to get to the real shit at the end, just like she did. But something that was interesting to me was the first half. She's now doing this thing about how lonely and sad she is and how the whole thing has been an act, which I do believe, but I do also believe that this, I'm so lonely, I've given it all up, I don't know if I like the choices I've made. I'm not sure that this isn't another part of the rebrand. Because I was yeah. thinking about it, and I was like, oh my god, she literally just did this documentary on American Meme. Did you see American Meme on Netflix? Yeah. She, I forgot she was also the star of that. And it, that whole thing was about how lonely and sad she is, and how she has like nobody in her life. But to be fair, I do think she's lonely and sad and no, doesn't I have anyone do. in her life. And I will say it's interesting that you draw, drew that Mariah Carey comparison because now that I think about it, it does feel a lot like that to me in the like loneliness of it all because there's such a drastic difference between her public persona and who they are privately. And I think that that makes it very difficult to find authentic relationships if you are like existing constantly as two people. So here's what I've decided I believe because uh-huh. <laughs> we slept on it and so two people came to mind and one of them was Dolly Parton I just watched the Dolly Parton documentary mm-hmm. and I agree so kind of the thesis of this Paris documentary that we watched is that this whole public Paris has been an act she concocted it on purpose because she wanted to be successful and she knew that this would sell and that now she's kind of left um like prisoner to this creation this character she's come up with and she almost doesn't know who she is anymore right I was thinking about Dolly Parton also really reminds me of Paris in terms of public persona she has created this public image and in a lot of ways it's allowed her to be very successful because by making herself the butt of the joke she has been able to I think emotionally protect herself and she is somebody who wanted to be famous and will not like does not uh, feel any resentment towards what she asked for so Paris is somebody who will take a photo with anybody. She will work from 6 a.m. till midnight. She I mean, will go she to- really appreciates her fans. Like, and you see that really in this. To. And she, yeah. like, so grateful this for the people not, who showed yeah. up. Having, like, a crowd of people waiting for her in an airport after she just flew for, like, 16 hours, she is thankful to see them there. And it's not like Amy Winehouse, where she talks about, at the end of that documentary, she's like, I would do anything to walk down that street without the cameras. She's not somebody who hated the fame. She's somebody who wanted the fame, and we see that because she lost the fame, and she came back twice as hard to get it back. Like, she is somebody 
who wants this lifestyle very badly and she mm-hmm. loves it. And, I th- and Dolly Parton talks about, she's like, I signed up for this. I'm always grateful for this. And so I think there's that part of it. And now, and I do believe that she is lonely. It is yeah. a lonely life to be an almost 40 year old woman and be traveling 250 days out of the year to be working that hard constantly. It does suck. Here's where I feel like I had a different take than the narrative she was trying to portray. I think she was trying to say what you were saying, where it's like, she has this two, these two people. She can't let anybody in. Blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, I don't think that's what's holding her back from love. I think what's holding her back from love is her work ethic, which is psychotic. She says in this movie that her only goal when she was 18 was to make $100 million. And now her only goal is to make a billion dollars. Yeah. I cannot in my heart find a lick of sympathy for somebody who doesn't have time for love or a family because they're too busy trying to make a billion dollars. Can I say that I actually don't think that the issue is that it's like, okay, here's the thing that I think about finding a relationship. I don't think it's that she is, I think that she hasn't reconciled the two personas and it makes it because I don't think that this, I agree with you that this like I'm lonely whatever person is also not the true her, but this public person is not the true her. And so I don't think that you can love someone who doesn't know who they are. Like I, yeah. that's why she's lonely. It's like, no, because I agree. And I she think- like doesn't have an identity because she's, and it's because she spent so much time making her identity what it's it isn't I believe it's a character that she did on purpose but I also don't think she knows where that character ends no and I don't think she has any sense of self outside of the character but I do think as Nikki uh Hilton Ross child says she goes if you wanted a husband and a child you would have made that happen for yourself I don't I think she says she's lonely and I think she has recognized Mm -hmm. that public and I do believe she is lonely but I think she's recognized that publicly portraying this loneliness to her humanizes her in a way that is yeah um very profitable for America and likable that people want to see the other side that people want to see like being a Barbie doesn't sell anymore it's the Caroline Calloway's the falling the people who are falling apart and rebuilding themselves people want to feel sympathy for someone and I think we can prove that by the fact that that's been her brand effort like she did American meme she's doing this she's on this real press tour about like the, the person behind the Paris. Yeah, like whatever. I, I may be almost a billionaire, but I'm but I've never seen the Louvre. <laughs> yeah, she's sad. And I do think if she wanted to find out who she really was, she could take a fucking vacation and or she could. Yeah, she could stop working for a year. She I mean, she went to jail and kind of became irrelevant for a few years. And she did not say what a great time for me to take the hundred million I apparently already made and have a family. She said, I have to I get have a to billion. Crawl yeah. back into the limelight and try again. Yeah, and I think that, um, I don't know, I do think it is very interesting because in her book, she, which she, she wrote when she was 20 fucking three, and in this, it was when she was like 37, 38 probably, um, because she's currently 39, and she just writes in it that she like wants a family and assumes she'll have one, and like in the movie, she talks about freezing her eggs, and I just like do kind of think she like got caught up in a lot of shit and it didn't like realize that she hadn't structured her life around ever having a family and I believe she regrets it but I also believe that her like public regret of it is a campaign and I I do think that we should give a nod to sexism because if she were a man it would be she could do another 10 fucking years of perfumes and bags and lines and documentaries and then when she was 49 go find some 25 year old to have her baby like uncle jesse or something and i or do think she could just do that right now yeah. she could just get 
if she was a man, she would just get someone pregnant and then be there half the year. And I do think that's interesting because she's talking about when you're at that level of success and fame and you're working 250, you're tr- not just working, traveling 250 days a year, yeah. which is insane. The only way to have a relationship, and we saw this with Brittany and Kevin, is to find a man who will follow you around. Right. And there's that double-edged sort of, one, what kind of man just wants to follow you around? Somebody who has no sense of self, who's not independent, and is probably yeah. like a youth. Like, you know what I mean? There Especially is Especially at her age. Because the thing that Dolly did, which is why it worked, is she has been with the same guy since she was... Like 19 or like something. Like 19. And so, like, if Paris, when she was, like, 19 years old, had met the love of her life and, like, brought him along for the ride... And just like kind of had him in the shadows. That wouldn't have been fucking weird. But now at 39 to find a guy who can just drop everything. Well, I, I is- disagree. I think it's always weird to have somebody who's happy to just have their life in the back of the bus. Dolly's thing is that her husband had nothing to do with her career. He just stayed home and had his own very fulfilling life. Yes. And they met up on Christmas. I guess what I'm saying is that like when you meet young, it's like possible to like build it in that way. Yeah. But now at like this age mm-hmm. to find someone who can like. Yeah, who do you want at 38 who can drop everything and just follow you around? It's like like you don't have one friend or family member. Like in the movie, we see her dating this new guy who she has like an explosive fight and breaks up with because he's like a – just like some fucking European influencer man who she met at a DJ festival or whatever and – like follows her around, but it's like a selfish weirdo. And then does, I mean, it's one of those fights where you're like, he's completely wrong, but I do see that this isn't sustainable. Cause he gets mad that they're at this, they're at Tomorrowland. She's about to do a set and she has to do press the entire time. She's there working. She's super busy. And he gets mad that there was no time for him, yeah. which is like, it's true. When you've given up your whole life for one person and that one person doesn't even have time for you. Like, what are you like? Nobody could be in that relationship. That's not a sustainable relationship. Right. But then the problem is, I mean, of course here he like takes it out on her five minutes before the set happens and she's like hysterical and crying and shoving him and they're in this fight and she's begging him to stop making her cry. And she's about to go on stage and she's like, please don't do this to me. And she has him thrown out of the backstage area. And obviously the way he acted is deeply mature. But as I said to Ashley, she does not have a life set up in a way where a man who was a mature man could be a part of it because totally no mature, no true adult who isn't just in it for the fame and money could be second fiddle like that and be complacent and not get the love they want. Yeah. And I do. And like, I mean her sister, there's people in her life who like really call her out on it being like what, like you don't want a boyfriend. You want an assistant who is just like there when you want him and can entertain himself on his own when you don't have time for him. And like, and then but then you don't respect that person because they're literally a doormat Mm -hmm. and like there's no way to have respect in that type of relationship and so it just is this like thing where like like who could she be with yeah I mean I I do think a man gets to do it because society is naturally patriarchal and there is this sense that it's well not 40 year old woman well also I mean, a 39-year-old man would find, like, a 22-year-old woman. And, and then it, she, she dropped everything. Pathetic. Yeah, and it is kind of like... To follow him. Like, she just graduated college. Like, what else does she have going on? You don't need... She probably didn't go to college. <laughs> she might have gone to ASU. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like... And also, we're set up in a society where you don't really have to respect your girlfriend. Yeah. It's, like, perfectly fine to have a girlfriend who's 22 and lives off you. And Also, it's just, like, even if you do, like, respect... If like if she's like smart or whatever, like and you respect that about her, it's you don't like see it as like not respectable that she like also doesn't have a career for herself. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like and you I can think women are better. Women are better about expecting nothing. Did you ever read that the stork, uh, the stork wife? No, stork bride. <laughs> it was like this Paris review 
a short story that went really viral and but it was about how women like make their needs smaller and smaller according to what a man will give as opposed to like demand what they need you know what been I mean? there sailor you know what I mean if you have a boyfriend who's like I don't believe in giving compliments you're just like okay <laughs> as opposed to being like no well then get the fuck out I need somebody who makes me feel good but like women have yeah. this incredible like capacity to just make what they expect less and less and less to fit some what someone else is willing to give as a as opposed to saying you need to figure out how to give what Whoa, I, need. I feel shocked by this <laughs> shocked and touched and seen <laughs> but I'm saying I do think like a 22 year old girl who's falling around Diplo for example would cry every night silently into her pillow and then still look like a fucking smoke show at his show and never bring up to him for at least a year and a half or two years that yeah she wants to spend time together whereas I mean look at um look at fucking Jessica Simpson yeah Jessica Simpson was at the top of her game she's 26 one of the sexiest most successful pop stars in America and she dropped everything to follow around John Mayer's like (laughs) first tour yeah I hear he's got great dick though (laughs) Um, I hear he jerks off looking at you. I actually have also heard that. (laughs) I think we've heard it from the same source. Yeah, got great dick from a distance. Distance dick. Distance dick. I mean, he doesn't do that to his girlfriend, I think. He does it to, like, tour bus girls so that he can, I don't know. But still, my point is, um, I do think in this society, Diplo can do it, but Paris cannot because men get angry. Yeah, I do think that she would have to take a couple enormous steps back in her career if she ever, if she legitimately wants a family. And so, like, I do agree with Nikki on one hand saying, like, if you wanted it, you could have made it happen. But I also see from her perspective how, like, it does suck that as a woman she has to let something go. I feel – okay, so here – this is, like, the Ellen DeGeneres conversation, I feel, because it's one of those things where it's, like, we're only going after Ellen DeGeneres because she's a woman. Like, there's a tons of abusive male talk show hosts. Um, and I'm always, like – what if we had no abusive talk show hosts? Yeah, exactly. What if everyone like, stopped being abusive? It's like it's tough because I do see that it's one, it's sexism, but it's also that weird capitalist sexism where it's like, I don't know, is my perfect idea of feminism one where women get to like wholeheartedly pursue being billionaires and still have like a balanced life? And I kind of want to be like, no, fuck you. If you want billion dollars, then maybe you don't deserve love. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I understand that. So Nikki Hilton, did you like her in this? I like kind of did honestly I had such a hard time with her because I felt that she okay they only ever used her when they needed to show a harsh truth she literally existed in this documentary to be like the only no person in Paris's life I guess I just feel very annoyed by her Rothschildiness and the fact that I really think she thinks she's better than everybody on the planet now I want to talk about really I agree quickly with that too, but I do think it's like the way it's edited. I like do kind of believe that that's not their whole relationship. Who would you rather hang out with, Paris or Nikki? Paris, a hundred percent, right? A hundred percent. But I also think that, like, I mean, we'll get into this later. Like, why Nikki? Who do you think is nicer to waiters? Paris. I think Paris is nicer to everyone. Mm-hmm. I think Paris, we've from every book we've read has mentioned Paris and how wonderful it was to encounter her. <laughs> um, here's what I want to say. So I am a real housewife aficionado. True. True. And haven't I been saying for years that no woman on the planet is more impressive than the Kyle, Kim and Kathy Richards mother? Yeah. So. Um, Kathy Hilton is Paris's mom. Yeah. Kathy Hilton is also the half older half-sister of Kim and Kyle Richards of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills fame. All three women were child actresses and models. Why, you may ask? Because their mother was a broke-ass single mom. Pretty. No. Because, honestly, they, like, 
they weren't that pretty. Kyle and Kim, I get now why she got Kyle and Kim into it because Kathy was very pretty as a little girl. But you look at Kyle and Kim and be like, why were those faces on TV? They really were just in it because if you take your child to enough TV things, like Kathy, I I mean, when they showed that clip of her in that little TV show, I was like, she is a gorgeous. Yeah. Kim and Kyle have like kind of like weird, like fish faces interesting they're not pretty women um they should not have been on tv even as children and i was always like why were they it's just but it's because they had this hustler single mom who got the oldest daughter into it and then she was basically like instead of getting a job or a husband i'm gonna like whore out my children okay they were all child actresses or whatever and here's what i want to say that woman did that woman wanted her kids to have money boy did they and first first daughter marries into the hilton dynasty incredible incredible work that hilton dynasty heiress has a daughter who's now a legal Hilton heiress and that daughter has a daughter who's now a Rothschild heiress so literally in four generations that woman went from being a broke single mom who had to whore out children to having a daughter who is by blood part of one of the richest family empires of all fucking time four generations that's the American dream that you can just keep marrying up and up and up if you are shiny enough And boy, are they shiny. My God, that family is glistening. And so here's what else I want to say. So I've always, I mean, of course, Paris's entire brand and persona is based on the fact that she is a Hilton heiress. That was the initial intrigue. There's a million skinny little girls who will run around and do cocaine. But what was interesting about Paris was she was the heir to this kind of conservative fortune. Right. And can I say in her book, which we'll talk about more next week with um, comedians, comedian Allison Leiby is that she was early to the game of heiresses being models famous yeah in the spotlight well, she actually whatever. is one of the few who had the body for it she really True. is 5'10 5'11 and a, and a waif yeah so it made sense that she wanted to be a model yes. here's what I want to say uh-huh. the desire for fame though does not come from the Hilton side no it makes sense that the three women, the three sisters who were put into child acting as children, that's where it comes from. That same grandmother would say to uh, Paris all the time, you should be a star, you should be a star. Be like her Marilyn. name was, they called her star. That was her nickname. And it's very interesting that that's where it comes from. The same two women who put their drug addiction on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for fun, those women are what, that lineage and that blood is what made Paris who she is. Yeah. It's so- I also think it was the trauma. I think no, but she wanted to be a star from the childhood. True. She always wanted to be famous. I mean, she didn't say I'm going to make a billion dollars by going into finance. Yeah, but I think it was I think it was like the idea was planted from the family and I think the need was planted from what she went through. Yeah, I think the fact that she hasn't been able to step back and have kids or a family yeah. or anything is from the trauma, but I do think that the love of the limelight, yeah, comes from the family. And the love of the limelight is what invented pop culture as we know it today I believe like the way that like she basically invented calling the paparazzi on yourself she like in her um, confessions of an heiress like talks about the way that she like really carefully crafted a lot of what we saw like she seemed like just like this careless party girl and she really wasn't like she was like very carefully like maintaining her hair her makeup her everything to like always look like studying like studying paparazzi photos of her to like learn how to stand prettier. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that that is very interesting in the way that she now like defines 2002 to 2008. Like if every single one of those like Y2K trashy Instagram accounts 
like just like all those fun accounts with all those nostalgic photos from the 2000s every third photo is Paris she is so photographed well I she's think she so just know what I would specifically say she invented the shamelessness of it all yeah I think she invented the the weird scraps that come along with celebrity she's gonna lean into that you yes. know what I mean like Angelina and Brad they're running from the paparazzi she's gonna turn around and pose for the paparazzi she's gonna call people them. are she's selling the photos they're taking of yourself she'll take her own photo of herself like she invented the leaning into things that everybody else was hiding from yes. I, I do think she was the first person to stop running away from the fame and like let it multiply around itself mm-hmm I believe that and I agree with that. I mean, the selfie itself. I mean, do you remember even like in middle school, high school, college, how embarrassing it was to have a selfie out? It's like so it used to be a really embarrassing thing to do. Yeah. Like, like you'd be like, but this was back before everyone had a camera on their phone. So you'd kind of be like, if I want a good photo for my mind space, I have to take it myself. But then there was this like payoff of being like, but it's so embarrassing to take photos of yourself. You'd have to ask your friends to take like a hundred photos of you. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, selfies were like self timer mm-hmm. selfies. And then remember, people uh, for a time didn't even understand what selfie meant. They just thought it meant a photo of yourself. And it was like, no, it was specifically a photo, a photo of you- yourself taken by mm-hmm. yourself. E. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because there's so many um, famous like photographers from back in the day who will take a photo of themselves like every day for 10 years or something. And it's like all these self-portraits. And it's like, yeah, that's literally every bitch in America now has this exact, <laughs> like the idea that you could sell a coffee table book of your selfies. Now you have to literally be Kim Kardashian to do that. Should I sell a coffee table book of me in my like round mirror in the kitchen where I drink my coffee? Who would you sell it to? Um, DM me if you guys would accept it for free. If I <laughs> bought it. <laughs> um, it's really funny whenever I go on like my I thought it so if you guys follow me on Instagram I like post a lot of photos in this round mirror that I have and I thought it'd be funny on my dating app profile to just only use photos from that round mirror and so now every time over the last like couple months if I've like brought a date back to my apartment wink wink they see the mirror and they're like oh my god the mirror (laughs) um okay just to wrap up my thing though I do want to say I think in the same way that that long pointy nose came from the mother's side and came yeah. straight down all those sisters down to Nikki, down to Paris and probably down to Lily Grace Rothschild. Yeah. Um, so was the want to better your, better your position in life through either fame or marriage. And it's funny to yeah. see it. All the sisters did it. Um, and then Nikki and Paris, Nikki did one. it through marriage and then Paris did it through, Fame. Fame. I do want the documentary on Nikki Hilton because she does this whole thing where she talks. She goes, I just want to preface this by saying I don't do these interviews anymore. But for Paris, you have to get the whole story from me, blah, blah, blah. And I just want to be like, give me the documentary on how the Rothschild accepted you. You were like nipples out, 16 years old, the wildest pi- party girl. She's not even that pretty in the face. I said she looked like a wannabe Kiara Ferrani. Yeah, and by that, you mean Kiara Ferrani's sister. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> I was just thinking, like, I wonder how she was accepted in that family because that really is like next level. I know. I kind of think that, do you know what's interesting is I think that Nikki is more moldably pretty. Like, I think that if she had wanted to become beautiful through fillers and. Yeah. I don't, you don't think she has all the fillers in the world? I do think that she has some of the fillers. I mean, she hasn't, she doesn't look that different than she did when she was like 20. Um, I think that she has a face that if she, if she wanted to do a full revamp, like Bella Hadid style, like I think her face lends itself more towards molding into something else like I think that she has more of a good base feature whereas like Paris 
does have like a really bizarre look to her. Like she's so narrow and strange yeah. looking, but like somehow it just all comes. And I can't tell if she's beautiful because I've just looked at her for the last 20 years and thought she's beautiful and been told that she is beautiful. She's very and so now I just chic. believe that she is. She really came up in the per- like only time she could have been that, you know, like how now I everybody has the same face is a gorgeous that she invented, which is interesting. I think, well, I think she came up in that time when everyone looked like case, like it looked cool to look like you would, you're emaciated because you're doing yeah. so many drugs. Now that face wouldn't have flied because it's all about being poofy and full and yeah. having the big lips and the big eyes. I she also, looked very much hungover all the time. And that was like very sexy back then. I think that she also just has like this weird kind of face that you wouldn't buy. Like, yeah, you would never buy it. It like face. just looks so good on her. For some reason. I mean, she of carries the it because of what it whatever. is. It's like, this is a girl who doesn't give a fuck and she's so skinny and that helped. I mean, if she yeah. wasn't that skinny, you wouldn't Oh, no, she looked ridiculous. Part of it is that she does look like this, like, party girl. Yeah. But then she started out with a sex tape, so she has this innate sexiness. Yeah, I will say that part was, like, pretty tough to watch. I mean, people, like, I mean, I joke about sex tapes all the time. Um, Like, the Kim one and the Paris one and the whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, the way that they were talking about it, I was like, man, this felt... Like, it's been a punchline forever, and because Paris just, like, let it be, because I think she recognized that if she, like, tried to fight against it, then she would just, like, look sad. I also don't think you – there was, pa- there was like, no social media back there then, was so no how way could to you fight have fought it? Fought it. And yeah. so, again, she just, like, leaned into shit, but it, like, seems like that was, like, a pretty traumatic sitch. I mean, I do think any – like, I remember when the – the nude leak of like 2016 or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those women came out and they're like, you can't imagine how horrible it is to feel violated in that way. Yeah. I literally cannot imagine that is horrible. Um, anyway, should we move on to the fucking revol? Yeah. So again, in this movie, Nikki is kind of like, Oh, I'm over this, whatever. And she does seem like pretty well adjusted. She has, you know, a bazillionaire husband and a family. And you're like, why is... She has a giant apartment with a lot of wallpaper. Yeah. Why does Nikki have so much wallpaper? And why is Paris a traveling DJ? Like, what the fuck happened that was so different? And the answer is that Paris was sent to a, like, disciplinary school for children that was actually just, like, this abusive system of horrors. Yeah, so basically, I'm sure we've all heard. I mean, I always heard about them growing up. The school where they, like, kidnap you in the middle of the night. And they, and like, take you, you have to live woods. in the woods. I, and, you know, I used to always say my brother should go. And my mom would always be like, I'm not sending him to one of those. And now I look back and I go, yeah, do you see how it is pretty traumatizing to be kidnapped from your own home? <laughs> yeah, because it literally creates this system where your parents have sanctioned kidnapping. And so, like, the only people that you trust are betraying you <laughs> yeah and then that like, and then it gets worse from there that's just the beginning and then it's like then you go out there and of course these are kids that have been deemed bad and untrustworthy and believe it or not they're getting abused i mean always yeah. as always and so like i don't know like there's so i mean paris is like telling her mom about it in the documentary what happened to her and her mom the mom still doesn't care the mom really doesn't care very much and she and still kind of acts like paris is like over exaggerating and being like like just like won't let it go yeah and but that's the thing is like those that's why these camps or schools i guess exist is because the kids who get sent there are the kids whose parents like don't believe them don't like they're like i have this like lying ass kid that i need to like whip into shape and so maybe if they're getting like like if they say they're getting like 
physically abused, they're liars. So yeah, they these just kids come home, like, you know, you and they're not lying. <laughs> you get strip searched. You'd have meals withheld from you. You'd be force fed. They use solitary confinement. Uh, Paris talks about trying to escape one time and being forced into like an even tougher camp. They give you she like. She talks a lot about like really traumatic physical abuse. Too. Physical abuse, being strangled, being hit, uh, you know, just being emotionally the broken. Where also they would like take all your clothes and have it just be like a cold room. Yeah, and they were just they just left her in there for twenty hours without food or water or anything, and she was just she's like the girl in the next cell had a straight jacket. I mean, and she was put in there because. Apparently they were giving everyone a concoction of pills, like four to five pills that nobody knew what they were getting. And they like made you feel drowsy and shitty. So she stopped taking them. And then when they found out that she had stopped taking them, they put her in solitary confinement to punish her. It was like cleaning. It was manual labor. It was emotional abuse. Of course, in any situation like this, there's going to be sexual abuse. She doesn't specifically talk about being sexually abused, but like other people did. Yeah. And she does mention that they would like watch you shower. Yeah. And like, I mean, just taking away all your clothes and throwing you in a, like, why did you have to be naked in a cell? They don't even do that to prisoners, I don't think. I don't think they do either. And, and then she said it was constant strip searches. And yeah. I mean, it was just horrific stuff. And then if they... She said if you try to tell your parents on the phone, they would beat you. And Yeah. So at the, by the end of the movie, she's met up with her old classmates, fellow survivors. And they kind of have this, like, emotional journey where they've just... They all decide to come together and try to put... Put, put an end to these places because they still exist. Mm-hmm. Um, they're completely unsanctioned. They, there's like no laws governing them. And they said what's worse is the original one, Provo. A lot of the employees have gone on to start their own sister schools and they're even more fucked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the kind of people who do this are fucking insane. Um, the prison Stanford, uh, the Stanford prison experiment, right? It's like you just basically, get more and yeah. more fucked up as you... When you're told you have absolute control over people, you just, like, destroy them, especially when they're children. One of the things they said is, like, every week they would have these disciplinary hearings where you had to write on a slip, like, what other people had done wrong. And if you didn't write something down, they punished you. And then if if you had been written down, like, you would get publicly humiliated and punished by everybody. Yeah, I do. So she talks a little bit about how the only people that know – in the beginning of the movie about – her fame she talks about how the only people who know the real her are like her family and I actually believe that when she is like reunited with her old classmates like those are the people like I don't feel like her guard fully came down I feel like she still had to be like poised Paris whatever but I think that those the way that they like immediately called out that they're like oh yeah I started seeing you on tv and you had just like a different voice and you were different whatever like I think that those are the people who knew her yeah, she even said she's like, oh, I had like a low voice or a high. it's like she couldn't even remember what she sounded like back in the day. Yeah. Um, something interesting, though, was they were laughing, saying that the sim- they were like, who was this girl in the simple life acting like she had never held a mop before, saying she didn't know how to do a dish. And it was like we had done three years of manual labor at like a prison <laughs> camp. We knew you knew how to like scrub. <laughs> you had been scrubbing toilets every day for three years. So it was funny to watch that. And she says the only thing that got her out of that place that held her together was when she was like in solitary confinement and every day she had this one best friend, Jessica, and she would talk about who she was going to become and how she was going to make her dreams happen. And her dreams were to make so much money that nobody could control her. And actually, um, you know the book, and I think now it's a movie called like Luckiest Girl Alive. No. Is it about the Britney Spears song? No. It was like a best-selling novel and it was by this woman. I want to say her name was Jessica. And she wrote an op-ed for New York the New York Times called I Want to Be Rich. And it was about how when she was like in high school, she had been like gang raped by these guys. And like in that moment, she decided what she wanted more than anything was as much money as she could. And she figured out the best thing she could do to like make all that money was 
be a writer because she was a good writer. And so she's like, I studied for a year how to write like the most sellable book, how to sell it for options, how to write the screenplay myself. And she's like, and now every time someone comes up to me and it's like, I can't believe you're so successful. And she's like, well, like this isn't an accident. She's like, I fucking decided to be successful. I made like I was better than everybody and I made myself and her whole thing. And she's like, I want so much money that nobody can ever hurt me or touch me again. And I, there was a lot of that in Paris. Like I a want so much it. money that I don't want anybody to ever hurt me. Yeah. And I mean, the way that like, I mean, because it stemmed from her family betraying her, like even her sister, who was like her best friend, it seems like until this, they'd never really gotten into what happened to her there. Like she didn't talk about it with anyone literally ever. Like she's clearly probably not been to therapy. She and we were talking about how like she's definitely not been to therapy, but also how could you go to therapy after something like this where this therapy school that had abused you so badly? Right. Like it was under the name of therapy. How could you then trust the therapist? I understand that you'd be like, I don't want to go to a therapist and do all the abuse that my last therapist did. Right. So like I see and like she talks a little bit. It's interesting because she talks so much about how the Paris that we know is like a product of the trauma she experienced at this school. But then later in the movie towards the very end they sort of talk about social media and like how it affects the kids these days and they ask her if she feels responsible for the role she's played in like creating this like perfect social media persona versus imperfect real life persona and she says that she does feel responsible and that kind of bummed me out because I see how she really like paved the way for a lot of it but it was in response to her own trauma she wasn't like doing it try and set the bar for anyone else it was just like a ripple effect you know what I mean I guess part of me feels like I do get that she was one of the first but I don't think that it was inevitable you look at people like Steve O who at 16 in London was putting stuff online I don't know that you mean it wasn't like it would have happened without her it I don't know that it wasn't inevitable. I think it was inevitable. Yes. Yes. And I do think taking on the responsibility is like. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't think she deserves that. I don't think she deserves it. And I, I also wonder how much of that. that, like she is truly feeling guilty or kind of feeling, you know, when you meet a famous person and they're like, I invented this. Like it's kind of taking yeah. a lot of credit where I don't know. Credit is so, I don't think she feels that bad. <laughs> I hope she doesn't feel bad. I mean, she's still, she's a social media manager that takes a picture of everything she does. She hasn't stopped Photoshopping. You know what I mean? She's, it doesn't feel yeah. so bad that she's changing. True. Okay. Okay. I'm just, yeah, I do think that this whole thing was very illuminating. I think that she was like confronting a lot of the effects of the school yeah. as because again, I think she it's like about huge how she for never her. Talked about it. She and I do think it's very brave that she's like making herself the face of change that needs to be made. Yeah, and she especially because like one of the tactics of that school was so like shame driven that like you can really tell how she had never mentioned it before because she just felt so ashamed mm-hmm. of the situation. And instead of being like this was an abusive situation that I shouldn't have ever been in, she like felt so much. I feel like she carried a lot of responsibility for that happening to her. Which yeah, is, like I mean, fucked. I definitely and I think that that's like why it's so easy to get away with stuff with kids you look at like the Catholic Church if you tell a kid I'm raping you and it's your fault they like keep that shit inside forever like they do not come out with it um I do think it was an interesting documentary and seeing how her childhood was like the perfect storm for who she is now yeah one with it so which is like exactly what we would have wanted from her memoir yes it was actually very I agree with that it was illuminating I feel like here's how I would Break it down because I do almost feel like, you know, in like Spanish and French classes, they'd be like, match the word in the two columns with its translation. I almost feel like you can 
exactly see how she was trained to become who she is. Yeah. So I think you have the grandmother, the maternal grandmother, who's raising her to say the most important thing is you are a star. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is you are beautiful. The most important thing is you are famous. Right. You have the Hilton side, the paternal side saying, um, make everybody think your life is perfect. They talk a lot about how their parents hid everything under the rug that, Paris was literally kidnapped in the middle of the night. The next morning they went to breakfast, didn't even address it. The way her mother heard that she had been strangled and beat and abused and was just like, well, um, that, and she talks about going to etiquette class and being taught how to be the perfect poised society girl about how they were really trained to keep everything inside and just have this facade and let it, uh, never let anybody in. And then you have this trauma where she was taught, you can't trust anybody, not even your parents, the only thing that can save you is having so much money that you never need anybody. And that's how you create the perfect storm of Paris Hilton, a woman who created a facade of celebrity. Mm -hmm. She has no problem living a dual life. It somehow does not seep into her. She does not seem affected, which I thought was interesting by the negativity of the life she's created as much as the fact that it's a facade. She yeah. does that. Like, you know what I mean? Like you and I, we got a few hateful comments on TikTok, and, and like we were lost ready to our fucking minds. At no point does she talk about how it gets to her that people hate her. Yeah. She does not seem affected by that at all. It more seems affected that she's just always, it's like she's constantly playing Rachel from Friends. So, and, but she has that power to just never let anybody see the real her, to have this facade. And then the trauma said a hundred million is not enough, a billion, you have to do a billion. Like it is the trauma that kept it going way past when it should have died. It should have died when Nicole, look at Nicole Richie. Nicole Richie got out of that shit and had a fucking yeah. family. And now she has a cute little life where she's friends with every rich, famous girl in Hollywood and has a clothing line and a husband and children. Yeah. But the she trauma never went Paris. to prison camp. <laughs> and yeah. And, or even Nikki, Nikki got out of it. Yeah. Nikki was also a wild pal. Again, party it like girl. really is this very clear, like they yeah. had the exact same like lead up. And then there was like this um, very important step that happened to Paris and not any of these other girls. I think like, I think her parents and her family created the mask and then the trauma made it literally the mask from the movie, the mask where you can't get it off. Yeah. I would say like trauma was the glue that glued the mask to her face for eternity. Trauma was the glue that holds us all together. (laughs) (laughs) We are all bound by our traumas. Um, Anyway, do you have any final thoughts and feelings if you guys want to look up the traumas that the school did the hashtag is hashtag breaking code silence yeah and there's like a um instagram page for it and stuff we know a comic who went to one i know a couple people who went to some and so we're gonna try to get them the for comic like a bonus app for a little bonus app and have her talk about her experience at these trauma schools just so you can really round it out um yeah and that's all we have this week next week we're going to be talking about the mask the steps that go into it paris's best and worst advice from confessions of an heiress it'll be much lighter much more throwbacky a lot of outfit descriptions so if this was heavy that'll be fun and light tune back in we love you guys